Thanks, Matt. It's so good being here. I'm glad they moved those things so we can see you guys out there. Hope, yeah, like Matt said, hope no one dies. Um, it's been a real privilege being with you this weekend. Really inspiring. I don't, I, I don't think I've ever seen a church or group of churches quite like you guys before in terms of your commitment to sending people. I thought I was quite firm with the guys at the conference yesterday afternoon talking about cost and pain and difficulty of reaching the unreached. I was trying to put people off. Uh, and then at the end, there's this kind of overwhelming, phenomenal response, and you just think, you're either all completely mad, which is probably true, or you have a very high level of surrender to Jesus and his lordship and his cause, and I just have the utmost respect for that. Um, I've been messaging with the guys in Istanbul and saying I'm here, and the church in Istanbul is praying for you guys, and they asked me to bring you a greeting. Okay, now, Turkish greetings are quite formal, uh, so I'm going to bring this greeting in an appropriate way to you. Okay, we greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and with his peace from the land of the seven churches of Revelation, uh, the land where Ephesus is and Antioch is, the land of the Apostle Paul, in fact, the land where nearly all of the New Testament was written, and we hope you like our book. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, you know, the gospel kind of came out of that part of the world originally, and Turkey had had a, a spring and then a summer uh, and, and autumn and has really been in winter now uh, in a kind of Muslim phase. And by the grace of God, we're there sowing for the next round of spring. Uh, you guys in Western Europe have had spring and summer and are probably in autumn at the moment in terms of the relationship between the, 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 the gospel and the culture. And so that's why the Turkish church wants to pray for you guys and cheer you on, because your local mission is massively important as well, yeah? Um, I'm going to look at a passage of scripture this morning uh, from Luke chapter 20. If you've got a Bible, let's go there. And as we go there, I'd just like to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and its power to change us in the moment and to change the trajectory of lives, to speak to many different people in a room this size about many different things. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence. Come, be our teacher. Uh, your burden is light, your yoke is easy, but you speak really sharply. I pray you do that today. Jesus, thank you for your love and your presence. Amen. 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 Um, I want to just really look, it's a story that Jesus told, but it's really just looking at one word. And if, if you were going to ask me, what is the one attribute that you need for mission? What is the one kind of character thing or personality thing that you need? I don't, you might get the answers, courage, or faith, or Miracle working guts, or that's more than one word, but you know, it should be one word. Um, you, you know, it might be those kind of things, bravery. I feel the story of the New Testament, the story of Jesus, and the thing that we need for mission is summed up really in one word. It's not a very attractive word, but it's the word meekness. Okay, and Jesus tells a story about this, and that's what we're going to look at here. 
And my prayer would be that that's what we kind of understand what it means, get it into our hearts, get it into the way that we think about mission. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Yes, there's a, there's a link between being meek, being blessed, and inheriting the earth, which is what mission's about. And so um, we're going to look at this story in Luke chapter 20. And the context is this. It's a few days before Jesus is going to die. Really important. He comes to Jerusalem. He comes into the temple. And you know the story. He starts smashing everything up and turning over the tables and chasing people out. And they say to him, what right? Who are you? You've come from a village. What right do you have to come into our temple and do this? Who are you? Where do you get your authority from? Okay? And to answer that question, Jesus tells this story. So this story that Jesus tells is answering the question, who are you, Jesus, and where does your authority come from? Okay? And so uh, we go from 20 and verse 9. He began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and led it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. Okay, it's a very simple story. There's a guy, he plants a vineyard and then he has some tenants come and work in it and he goes away. And I have told this story many times in many coffee shops to many Muslims. Okay? It's a great story for Muslims. Uh, and then you ask them, okay, who is the, who is the man who planted the garden? And they'll say, God. What is the garden? Oh, it's the world. Okay, who are the people working in the garden? Well, that's us, isn't it? God made the world, and then he put us there to look after it for him. It's a very, very simple story. You with me? Yeah, okay. Now, when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. So it's a cashless society. So the way you pay your rent is when the season comes and you get all your grapes or whatever, you give 10% to the owner. That's how you pay your rent. In a lot of places in the world, it still works like that today. And so it's, it's harvest season, the grapes are harvested, and the guy says, oh, I'm going to send one of my slaves down there to collect my rent. It's my due. Okay? But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And you think, hang on, in this story, who, who, who would this person that was sent be? Well, I suppose it would be one of the prophets in the Old Testament. God sends a messenger and says, hey, you're acting like owners, but actually you're only renters. Yeah? You think it belongs to you. You worked hard and you made all these grapes, but whose land is it? And so you owe God something. What do you owe him? Honor, respect, acknowledgement that it belongs to him. Uh, but whenever the prophets came to the people... The people said, no, we don't want you. Who is this God? We don't know him. This belongs to us. We worked hard. It's mine. Yeah? And so, although they're renters, they're acting like they're owners. Sound familiar? This is our story. It's true of all of us. Your breath, your time, your life, your days, your youth, your energy, your dreams, your hopes, your money, your house, your car, your children. You think you own them, but you're renting them. Wow. (laughs) 
Shall we end there and just repent? <laughs> um, and so, what's he going to do? Now, the owner has a dilemma, okay? I sent someone, they slapped him around and rejected him. Anyone who shames my messenger is shaming me. Anyone who rejects my messenger is rejecting me. So, what am I going to do? Well, verse 11, he sent another servant. Wow! What's going to happen this time? So he sends him, but they also beat and treated him shamefully. So it's worse. The first one, they just beat. This one, they beat and shame. And they sent him away empty-handed. So these guys seem to be getting harder in their rebellion. They're getting more confident in their rebellion. And, And everyone in the community, everyone in the village is watching and going... What's this guy going to do? He seems like a weak man. You know, if someone shames you, you need to get satisfaction for it. You need to get your own back. Um, What's he going to do? And verse 12, he sent another one. Can you imagine if you're that servant? No, no, I want you to go down. Hang on, what happened to the other two guys? No, thank you, boss. No, you're my slave. I'm sending you. Yeah? And he sends a third one. And this one also they wounded and cast out. So it's, it's a declaration of independence. These guys are gearing up. They're ready now, yeah? If he sends someone else, we're ready. We're expecting it. It's kind of like we're, we're carving out a little bit of independence for ourselves. This is our story. So he seems to keep forgiving or overlooking, sending another one. Sending on, does that seem like a good strategy to you? doesn't seem like a very clever strategy to me. The, um, there's a Turkish proverb that says, mercy begets abuse. Yeah, the more that you forgive someone, the more they'll take advantage of you. Yeah, maybe you've worked with a, a tradesman. I've got to be careful in case this is your trade. You know, you've worked with someone on your house and, and they realize you're a bit of a schmuck and they can take you for a ride. So they just keep ripping you off for more money and more money. Yeah, you, it doesn't seem like a very good strategy. Somewhere you've got to stand up for yourself, haven't you? Mercy begets abuse. He's getting taken advantage of here. So then, and and verse 13 is an extremely profound verse in the Bible, okay? Uh, For so many reasons. It's God's soliloquy. God's talking to himself here. You know, in a Shakespeare play, you'll have moments where Hamlet is on stage talking to himself. And you, you get an insight into his thinking. And that's what God's doing in verse 13 here. He's... He's thinking, what shall I do? He asked himself a question. The owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? Okay, and he's got a a dilemma here. He's got three choices. I need to act this out. I need, we've just made friends, so you're going to be my volunteer. Well done. (laughs) What was your name? See, we're really good friends. (laughs) We, we We prayed together. That's big bonding. He's from the place where I proposed to my wife in West London, so we, we're like brothers. Okay. Was it, what was it, Mark? Okay. Um, right. You've got three choices. Jesus, in another place, presents the same dilemma like this. He said, imagine that somebody slaps you on the right cheek. Okay? Now, this is my, this is my right cheek. You need to slap me on my right cheek. Okay, pause. Okay, you've got, if you're going to slap someone on the right cheek, 
You're not doing it to hurt them, because then you would punch them. Okay? You're doing it to shame them. And you've got two choices. You slap them with your left hand, which in the Middle East is your dirty hand. Yeah? Or you slap them with the back of your right hand, which is how you slap, forgive me, but it's how you slap a child or a woman in, in this culture here. Um, and so you're not treating them like a man. Okay? So it, it, he's doing it to shame me in front of everyone and to go, ha, look, I'm, I don't even see you as a man. So he went, he went for left hand. He could have gone for either. Okay? So slap me. That was a little bit harder. He's got... He's got... Um, I thought, I'm going to pick a skinny-looking guy. <laughs> I've got three choices. Okay? I've got three choices. I've got the choice... Uh, that you call justice, okay, which is what you did to me, I'll do back to you. That's fair, isn't it? So that's choice number one, is justice, giving him what he deserves. Now, in the, in the old days, there was no limit to justice. So there was a guy in the Old Testament called Lamech, and he said, if someone slaps me, I'm going to slap him 77 times. Yeah, in the book of Genesis. Uh, in other words, I'll slap you, I'll slap your family, I'll slap your whole village, I'll burn your houses down. There's no limit to revenge. You see this in the world sometimes. I've got the right. Okay? And the Old Testament law, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, that was revolutionary. Because you're limiting justice. You can take one eye, one slap for one slap. One eye for one eye. It's a, it was kind of a revolutionary breakthrough at the time, Okay? And so, my first option is justice, not unlimited justice. I'm not going to slap your wife. But, but you slap me, I slap you, okay? That's choice one. <laughs> choice number two is what we would call mercy, not giving him what he deserves, uh, or forgiveness, okay? So, in other words, you slap me, and I will overlook it. I'll forget it. I'll forgive you. I'll act like it never happened. So you were kind of minus one and now you're zero again. Yeah? And, and actually, that is what has been happening the whole time in this story. I'll send you a slave. You beat him. I'll send you another one. You beat him. I'll send you another I could do it forever. Peter came to Jesus and said, how many times should we forgive our brother? Seven times? And Peter thought he was really hardcore. I'm going to forgive him seven times. And Jesus said, 77 times. Interesting. So Lamech said, I'm going to beat him 77 times. Jesus said, no, no, we're, we're wiping that away. You forgive him 70. So I stand here and he could slap me 77 times. Could send 77 slaves to the garden to get beaten up. That's mercy. Now the problem with forgiveness, it's good, isn't it, forgiveness? It's hard to do, just to stand there and take it. But the problem with it is, it's not enough because it doesn't change his heart. You know, all religions, in a way, offer you forgiveness. That's not unique to Christianity. Did you know that? Uh, if you say to a Muslim, ah, I've got the answer for forgiveness to your sins, they'll say, so what? Many Muslims. I'm not really looking for that. God can forgive me when I pray. It's, 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 forgiveness is amazing. It's better than justice. It's not good enough, and it's not uniquely Christian. Okay? And so, there's a third choice. It's a really risky choice. Uh, in the slapping of the cheek example that Jesus gives in another place, what does he say we have to do? 
turn the other cheek. So I'm not just forgiving him, I'm actually saying, have a go, have a go with your right hand. Take a better shot at me. I'm, I'm making myself vulnerable. This is what we call meekness. It's crazy. It's a terrible strategy. Okay, I've turned my other cheek. Go on. Well done. You can sit down. I'll I'll get you later. (laughs) And so the owner of the vineyard here, he says, I'm not going to just do justice because I I don't just want to punish these guys. I'm not just going to do mercy. I've been doing that. It's not changing their hearts. In fact, it's making their rebellion harder. Yeah, if God's always going to forgive me, it can almost give me more permission to sin. Yeah? And so, what does he say? The owner of the vineyard, verse 13, said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. That's crazy. I sent my slaves and they beat them. Now I'm going to give them a, an even more precious gift. What a terrible strategy. With all respect. He sends his son unarmed and defenseless into a situation where the men are in active rebellion, are hard, are geared up, and ready to kill him. Remember, when is Jesus telling this story? Like two days before exactly that happens. They broke something precious. I know, I'll give them something even more precious. They ruined the creation. I know, I'll give them new creation. What? Why would you do that? In the verse where it says, I will send my beloved son, that language comes from the the story of Abraham and Isaac, which we looked at a little bit yesterday. There's this kind of precious son through whom all my inheritance is going to come. I'm risking him. And, And in this verse, it has the word perhaps, maybe. Yeah? God is sending his son on a maybe. God is a gambler. You can't really say that to English people because we see gambling as... But I don't know if you've ever heard the story of um, Reinhard Bonnke, the German evangelist. Loves preaching the gospel. And one day he gets invited onto a television chat show. And he thinks, oh great, I'll get the chance. Like one of these breakfast TV things. I'll get the chance to share Jesus on TV. So he's sitting there and all the other guests are just talking about horse racing. And he thinks, I don't know anything about horse racing. How do I get in this conversation? And he's praying, God, please give me an opportunity to share something. So they're just talking. And the time's going. And he's waiting for his chance. And then they turn to the presenter turns to him and said, what about you, Mr. Bonkey? What do you think about this race? And he says, well, I've put all I have on the rider with the white horse. And I'm sure he's going to win. <laughs> And they're like, that's interesting. Who is the rider on the white horse? Well, now that you ask. So you can get the gospel in anywhere. But actually, in becoming Christians, in becoming Christians, haven't we bet all that we have? 
on Jesus? Do you have a plan B? So we don't like people betting the farm, but that's what we've done when we got in that baptism pool, when we died to everything else, when we rose with him. That's my only hope. This Jesus thing better work. Hallelujah. It does work. Um, There's a really interesting story from uh, the 1980s from the kingdom of Jordan in the Middle East, where the rightful king, Hussein, good guy, um, one night he's going to bed and the security police come in and say, we've just found out, your highness, that a whole load of generals are gathered in a hangar not far from here planning a military coup. They're planning to kill you, overthrow the government. If we act quickly, we can send tanks and planes and we can get these guys and end the coup. Let's do it. And the king says, no, there'll be no operation. Just bring me one helicopter. And everyone's like, what? So this helicopter comes. This is a true story. King Hussein gets in the helicopter, flies to the hangar where these guys are meeting, plotting to overthrow him. Says to the helicopter pilot, put me down on the roof. If you hear the sound of shooting, you run away, okay? So the king gets out of the helicopter, walks down the stairs, unarmed and defenseless into a room of men plotting to overthrow him and kill him. And he says to them, true story, he says to them, I hear you're planning to kill me and plunge the country into civil war. The army will be split in two. Hundreds of thousands of people will die. Let's stop all of that. Here I am. Kill me now. End it. It's a huge risk. And one by one, these rebellious generals come towards him, kneel down, kiss his hand. So he gambles everything, but manages to awaken some slumbering sense of respect and honor. Amazing. And that's exactly what is happening here. So perhaps they will respect him. He sends his son. It's a risk. Why is it a risk? Because if they kill him, he loses his beloved son in the story. And he'll lose his land. He'll lose everything. That's his name. It's his future. It's his honor. It's everything he owns. So he's, he's, gambling, he's literally betting the farm. Okay? So what's going to happen? Verse 14. When the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let's kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. No, that wasn't supposed to happen. They were supposed to bow the knee and receive him. And they, there's a kind of inheritance law, like a squatter's right thing. If there's no heir and you've been in the land for three years, you can have it, okay? So that's what they think. And um, a commentator called Edwards says this about this story. If humanity can dispense with God or even kill God, then humanity can become God. Yeah, if we can get rid of him, ignore him, then this can be ours. Wow. And so, verse 15, they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And um, Jesus is prophesying exactly what's going to happen a couple of days later. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Verse 16, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. And then this is the really important verse 17. But he looked directly at them. This is the punchline, okay? Ready? He looked directly at them 
Because this is a terrible story so far, don't you agree? You came to church to be cheered up today. It's a terrible story. He looked directly at them and said, What then is it written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So they've taken the son and they've killed him and they've thrown him out of the vineyard. And he's dead over here on the rubbish heap. And Jesus says, hang on, let's just turn our attention away from what's going to happen to them for a moment. Let's look at this rubbish heap where they've thrown him. What's happening? The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. There's something happening. They've rejected the son and thrown him out, but he seems to be stirring. He seems to be coming to life. Yeah, he's changed metaphor and said it's like builders who wanted to build something and they saw this stone and thought, oh, we don't want that, and they've thrown it out. But actually, that was the kind of living stone that was going to come alive and be the, the building, the most important thing. And the, you know the story of Jack and the Beanstalk? It's a famous gospel story um, where Jack comes home and brings these beans to his mum and says, Mum, I've got these magic beans. And his mum goes, no, nah, they're rubbish. And she throws them out. But then overnight, they grow up and become this kind of amazing plant that goes up to heaven. That's exactly what happened with Jesus. They think, oh, we've killed him, we've buried him. Whereas actually they were planting God's seed. They think, oh, we've got rid of this this useless stone. Whereas actually, God was planning to use that to make a whole new building. He's going to destroy the old building. But he's going to build a new building over here on the rubbish heap with all the other rejected and broken people. He's going to get rid of the old creation, but he's starting a new creation over here with Jesus and everyone who's in Christ. There is no longer any hope for those in Adam. They say, what will happen to us? Well, the last chance was grace. And so there will be a time when the old garden is removed and everyone in it. But there is a way out. Those that accept the son, those that come across, those who've been rejected and thrown into the trash heap like him. That's where the new thing is happening, yeah? So you read the book of Revelation and you've got two things happening at the same time. The old creation is dying and the new creation is coming. So what do we learn from this story? Just a few things to land. I know many English people enjoy a story but need kind of Points to learn from, yeah? So I'm going to give you some points. (laughs) A few people are going, man, that's just a weird story. Jesus told that story, okay? Number one, Jesus is telling us who he is. Yeah, The, the question was, who are you? What right do you have to come into our temple and trash it? And this is metaphorical Christology. Jesus is talking about who he is through a story. A parable is like a Trojan horse. Yeah, you know the story of the Trojan horse. They're beating against the walls of the city. They can't get in. So they send this beautiful horse in, but actually they're inside the horse and, and you know it. But so often in our evangelism, we try and argue with people and beat against them. Jesus didn't tend to do that. He tended to tell people a little story. It's kind of indirect attack. So people open their hearts. Oh, nice story. And and the Trojan horse gets inside their heart, but then the truth comes out and they're like, oh my word, we just admitted that we were sinners and rebellious. Yes, you did. 
You got played. <laughs> Jesus is saying, God sent, yeah, there was a, in the story, there's a slave and then a slave and then a slave and then a son. So he's saying, there was a prophet, there was a prophet, there was a prophet, and then there was me. I'm more than a prophet. I'm different than, in those days, there's a massive difference between a slave and a son. A slave has no rights. Yeah, so he's saying, I'm on the same mission as the prophets in the Old Testament were on, but I'm categorically different, ontologically different, greater, higher, and the son. It's huge. Okay, you see here, God was acting in mercy, 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 but then grace. I'll give them my precious son. It's this kind of huge difference really between the Old Testament prophets and who Jesus is. Hebrews 1, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. Amen? Number two, Jesus is redefining sin as thinking you are an owner when actually you are a renter. So, so often we think sin is Bad thoughts, bad actions, bad words. Kind of small things. Sin is not small things. Sin is the fact that we live in a world where we're saying, this is mine. And you are not welcome here. And the appropriate response to the son when he is sent is to say, please come in to my life, to my heart. You created, you own. It's all yours. Yeah? Number three, God is not risk-averse. We've been talking about mission this weekend and some of the risk of it and some of the cost of it. He sends his son on a maybe to a rebellious and hardened planet. Okay, this is huge for us because sometimes we talked only about going to places that are open. Yeah, we'll send people there if there's a good possibility of some people getting saved or planting a church. We're not going to send people to that hard, closed place. God's strategy was he sent his son at the time when people were at their most rebellious and most hard and most likely to reject. So it's not okay to say we'll only send people to open places or potentially fruitful places. Okay? Sometimes we will only go for things if we have a guaranteed return. Yeah, so we think we'll send these people and this money to this place because we think there's a good chance of them bearing fruit there. Whereas God seems to have a higher risk bar than, than many of us. Mission is risky. Uh, stewardship is an important theological lens, but it's not the only one. Okay, if God was only a good steward, he would have stewarded his, his son. Uh, and God sending people to hard places is an act of grace. These people, they didn't deserve to have the sun come. Yeah, they, they, they've, got, they've done nothing to deserve this. But God actually sends his son for him to be beaten and killed by them. And so it's actually an act of grace. If God chooses to send you guys to Ottawa, it's grace to them. You're, you are a gift of God to them, even if they reject you. Yeah? Number four, uh, meekness then is a good mission strategy. 
Okay, meekness is the core Christian ethic because we see it in the heart of God. If someone slaps you, you've got three choices. In life, in your workplace, your terrible neighbours, if somebody slaps you, wrongs you, hurts you, says something bad about you, you've got three choices. You can do it back. Justice, they deserve it. Or you can forgive and ignore and they'll probably do it again. Or you can turn the other cheek. You can actually go to them with grace. You can give them something. Can you? It's, it's a crazy strategy. Yeah, it's completely non-human. Hallelujah. Number five, the death of the son in this story was the absorption of evil. Okay, so evil has to go somewhere. And so there's this rebellion and this evil happening here. And the sun comes and they pour their hatred and anger and curses on him and kill him. And that's actually what was happening on the cross. The world is full of anger and rebellion and evil and hate. And Jesus was there on the cross and it's kind of all poured on him. He takes all of it. He absorbs it all. When I was a kid growing up in Cyprus, we had this disgusting thing called flypaper. Have you ever heard of that? So there's a lot of flies. You'd sit at the table and eat your food, and there'd be flies everywhere. So we had these long strips of sticky paper hanging from the ceiling over the dinner table. And the flies would all get stuck on them, uh, and then we'd take them down and throw them away, and the air would be clear, and we could enjoy our meal. And that's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He's like flypaper. He's like a magnet for evil. Everything that's horrible and shameful and dirty is all poured on him. And then he's buried and put away. It's like when we're trying to get rid of nuclear waste, we bury it under concrete to get rid of it. Jesus took all that evil and curse and dirt and pain from the world and was buried so that it would go. That's what Jesus is doing on the cross. Evil, ca- evil cannot be redeemed unless it's absorbed. And in a small way, when you embody Jesus in your community, in your city, in your place of work, there's a, there's a way in which, through your meekness, you will absorb evil too. You'll be like that flypaper. People will curse and mock and reject and scorn you, treat you badly. And there's a way in which you're absorbing it so that they can be Delivered, yeah? Jesus did it once for all, but we embody Christ through meekness. That's what it means. And number six, and finally, God will vindicate. There will be a resurrection from the rubbish heap. He will bring a new creation. Uh, It will probably be posthumous, so after we die, yeah? And we have to know that. It's not always Hollywood happy endings in life. This story doesn't feel like a Hollywood, they're not going to make a Hollywood movie out of it. Yeah, but then there's this kind of pause, but then there's, but afterwards, and Jesus said, no one sews a a patch of cloth on an old ripped garment. They get rid of the old garment and get a new one. And that's what God is doing with the world, yeah? In the Psalms, it says, the old creation will be rolled up like an old garment and thrown away and he'll put out a new one. And in this story, that's what he does. I'll get rid of this old garden, but I'm planting a new one. Jesus rose again on the first day of the week. Because it's the beginning of a new creation. He rose again in a garden. Because it's the beginning. Adam went from a a, a garden 
into a tomb. He brought death. But Jesus, when he rose again on the first day of the week, rose from a tomb into a garden. Because he's bringing new creation. That's why we worship on a Sunday. Because we're celebrating there's something new emerging, something amazing happening from the, the dung heaps and the piles of rejection and rubbish of the world. That's where God is starting and doing something new. Amen? Wonderful. We're going to stand. The band are going to come. Okay, let's just settle our hearts. That's a big story, okay? It's, it's like a TARDIS. It's a small story, but there's a lot inside it. There's a lot to think about over your lunch today. But right now, I said lunch, I've lost everyone's attention. <laughs> right now, let's just settle our hearts. What is the maybe one thing that has lodged with you? The one thing that the Holy Spirit has whispered to you, the one thing that has provoked, challenged, confronted you. Okay, we're going to sing now as a response to Jesus, the son in this story. We're going to sing to him. We're going to kneel before him and welcome him and say, I belong to you. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. As we respond now to your word. Maybe you're here today and you feel, actually, I feel rejected. There's rejection in this story. That's what I heard. I'm on the dung heap. I've been thrown out. I want you to know today, Jesus has been there too, in the same pile. He knows what it's like to be there. That's where he's building his new kingdom. And maybe you're just going to want someone to pray with you today about this feeling of rejection that you have in your life. We'd love to pray for you. Okay? Maybe you're here today and you say, I've recently been slapped by someone. I know I have to respond in meekness, but that seems really hard. I don't even want to forgive them. Maybe you're struggling with that at the moment. Okay? You've been wronged. Something has been done to you. We'd love to be able to pray for you today and and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Maybe you're quite a safe person, quite a cautious person and thinking about risking or danger just seems really hard for you. And this word about risk just seems too much for you and you're struggling with that. We'd love to pray for you today. Ask God to help you. Maybe you feel like the guy in the story, like a lamb amongst wolves. Maybe you feel you're in a really hard place, your work, where you're serving, where you're living. You just think, you know, Jesus said, I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. It's a terrible strategy. And you feel vulnerable and under attack and there's darkness around you and difficulty and pain. And we'd love to pray for you to have strength and courage today. So as we sing now and respond to God, if if one of those things is for you, why don't you just put up your hand where you are and ask someone from the church to come and 
pray with you. If people put up their hands, then guys can come and, and just gather around you. Let's look around. Let's get close to people. Pray for them. There's, there's more of you than that. As we sing, why don't you just respond? Say, I want prayer for this. I need help for this in Jesus' name.